we'll get started. It is good to be back. It's good to see everybody. And uh, I, I went uh, Romans chapter 8. We're in verse 26. And uh, looking at this issue here, uh, we've, uh, uh, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This, uh, again, just kind of remind ourselves, uh, we've been away from the passage for two weeks. Here the context is the issue of, the Spirit, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And when we draw our, our, our minds back up, verse 18, the context, for I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And because of that connection that we have with creation, we have this connection in creation, verse number 22, Therefore we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now, and not only they but ourselves also. And so we know that we're going to groan and we have infirmities because of the connection with creation and because of the effects of the corruption uh, of, of sin. And, and when, when Adam and Eve fell, and we went back and looked in Genesis 3 there, when God looks at Adam and says, now you're going to have thorns and thistles to deal with, that is the curse on the creation. Not willingly, there verse 20, but the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. There, there's that issue of, hey, he did this. The hope of creation is the manifestations of the sons of God, verse 19. That's you and I, that's who we are. We are the sons of God. We're going to be manifested in, in such a manner. But then also, so we have this connection to creation, but now we also have this connection with Christ. In verse 17 there, we're joint heirs with Christ. So in verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So even though we do experience the infirmities because of the curse of creation, we looked at Galatians 6. You make bad decisions, you're going to reap bad results. So you're going you're gonna to suffer that way. We looked in Timothy there. Yea, all those who will live godly shall suffer persecution. So if you choose in your sonship and who you are in Christ to go and live as who you are in Christ, you're going to suffer some things. You're not going to, and by the way, suffering isn't losing your life. Sometimes there's a warped sense of what suffering is. And it's that issue, usually, well, if you're not down there in Africa, you know, taking it in the neck, then you're really not suffering. And that's not the case in Scripture. Paul, Paul suffered as our, illustri- as our pattern in 2 Corinthians. He suffered at many different levels. Uh, some of them were decisions that he made. Some were decisions that were made against him. So he, he falls apart. They're looking for Titus. That's himself. He did that to himself. So when you think about suffering, uh, it's not so much of going out there and, you know, hammering on it. It's, hey, you suffer, you're connected to creation, but we're also connected to a hope. And that's that inner man, that, 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 that new body. That's what verse 24, what are we waiting for? Or, I'm sorry, the end of verse 23, for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our 
body. We understand that we're going to fall apart. We understand we're going to decay. We understand that this past, on our vacation up, uh, the fires were going on. And, and in Montana, they do not put out wildfires. They let them burn unless it's going to impact people and property or a city. And the reason for that is, is because of the ecosystem, it helps that and it does this. So when a tree falls down, you know, you would think they'd clean it up. They don't because there's everything lives in that tree, all the bugs and the bears and all that good stuff. So there, there's this thing about creation that's there that is going on uh, decaying. We understand that. We understand the decay. We understand the disease. We understand the ultimate issue is death. And when we understand that, but we also have a what? We have a hope. We're not in our hope yet. We're waiting for the redemption of our body. Where verse 25, then do we with patience wait for it. There, there's, a, there's an expectation here that as we live as adult sons and who we are in Christ, that our attitude and our thinking is about patience and a waiting for it and a doing. Then in verse 26, like now all that's review from about you know three weeks ago, two weeks ago. It was only two Sundays, but it was you know three Mondays and three Wednesday nights and stuff like that. Then he says, likewise, the Spirit also what? Helpeth, and that's that's where Paul is moving us to now. Is the Holy Spirit? He he doesn't intervene. He doesn't intervene in it and fix it and make it go away, because that's counterproductive to what God wants the suffering to do in your life as a an adult. He comes in and he doesn't remove the circumcision. He comes in and does what helps. And that's really what the issue of prayer is all about, is the issue of help. Because Paul now is going to say, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And for the first, that's very startling in Romans. As we're laying the foundation and as we're beginning to learn and to grow and to build, for the first time he says, we don't know something. Up to this point, over and over, we know, don't you know, remember, think, likewise, reckon, all of the, that language of understanding and knowing. And here, he says, we don't know something. We don't know what we should pray, notice the word, for. It's the issue of not, we don't know how to pray, not how to pray. We don't know what our content of our prayer should be. Follow that? That's different. We know how to pray, we just don't know what we ought to be praying for. When you talk about prayer, which is what we're going to kind of talk about this morning, you get a lot of emotions in it. And when emotions get into it, then sometimes our, our intelligence and our knowledge gets left at the door. And therefore, we begin to really begin to operate on ignorance rather than on knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And in verse 26, this verse is a tremendous verse that gets abused by people. Because what does it say? But the Spirit itself maketh what? Intercession. Notice it doesn't say intervention. It says what? Intercession. That's different than intervening. 
But everybody out there in Christendom reads what? Intervening. And it's not what at all for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he, that's going to be God, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so you get all of these weird ideas because emotion get into it, because what are we usually looking for? An escape clause when something doesn't go right. See, rather than sitting there and thinking about it as an adult would think about when we were up with the Morgans in Idaho Falls, we, I was trying to buy a cargo trailer to bring all the stuff home. So I had, a, you know, I had an idea. Well, I made phone calls on Monday, and guess what? There's no cargo trailers. They're all sold. So as an adult, what, did you, what, did I, what I did was then I called U-Haul and I rented a trailer. But see, as a child, what would have happened? If you're not thinking like you are, you fall apart. I even tried to talk a guy into one, you know. But so a child is going to fall to pieces. Emotions. What do you mean there's no cargo trailers? And so you, what are you doing? You're blaming instead of thinking about it and thinking down through the problem. That's what prayer is like. Come back with me to 1 Samuel. I think we looked at some of this, but we're going to do it quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. You have Hannah here. 1 Samuel 1, verse number 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sorely. She's praying. Verse 12. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. So she's praying and her, you know, she's praying going, you know, moving her mouth but can't hear anything. And Eli thinks she's, you know, gone too much of Captain Morgan or whatever, you know. But now watch what's happening here. Look at verse 13. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved. Verse 14, and, she, and Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken, but put away thy wine from thee? And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful heart. I have drunk neither wine nor string drink, but have what? Poured out my soul before the Lord. And that's what prayer is. Lamentations 2, verse 19, you pour out your soul to the Lord. And that prayer is the opportunity to have that intimate relationship with the Father, where you pour out your soul, you pour out what's going on. And literally, prayer is a privilege, and, a, and it's a means of communication, it's a means of Pouring out, come over to Lamentation, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, the lamenting of Jeremiah, Lamentations 2. It's literally the pouring out of my soul. It's that privilege to communicate to the, with the Father. Now, he knows everything. We're not trying to pull one over on that he doesn't know something. But what does he want to have with his sons? A relationship. When Ricky was a little boy, little guy, kindergarten, he, we took him to school, and he came home, and I was sitting there in the chair, and I, 
put him up in my lap, and I ask him how his day was. Now, I know where he's been all day. He's in kindergarten. Actually, I think it was first grade. Take that back. I knew what he did all day. I knew everything. I knew when he had lunch. and I knew what he had for lunch. But I asked him, how was your day? What did you do today? What did you have for lunch? Now, I know everything that's going on in his life. But I was looking for that intimate relationship developing in him that he can talk to me about anything and everything. See? That's prayer. Prayer is just communicating to the Father. And literally, in a minute, we'll see prayer is literally telling back the Father what his word has told you. See? Lamentation 2, verse 19. Lamentations 2, 19. Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches. Pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of the, of your, the young children, the faint of the hung, hunger in the top of it. Notice that. Pour out thine heart like what? Like water. There's Jeremiah lamenting about what's going on in Jerusalem. And he's praying. He's pouring out. So prayer is just that issue you're in lamentation. Go back a couple books to Ecclesiastes. See, now you guys are going to really wish the fill-in guys were going, right? <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5. You see, when you talk about prayer, what are we doing? We're just talking to the Father about the details of our life and how His Word is to be applied to that, to those details. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 and look at verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty, to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou, and thou upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. What are we, to, we can utter anything to God. Philippians 4, Paul says it this way. Run over to Philippians 4, and we're going to go back to Luke 11. Philippians 4, Philippians 4 and verse 6 be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Think about that. Prayer, general things, supplication, very specific issue that you're thinking about and dealing with. Thanksgiving. Man, that's that heart of gratitude for everything that you, of who you are in Christ and everything he's made you and given to you. And you're thankful for it. That's the issue in, in 1 Thessalonians 5. In, in everything, give thanks. Ephesians 5 there, for everything, give thanks. And what do you, you have that grateful, gratitude heart. Now come back over to Luke 11. So when, we talk, when Paul talks here about prayer, there's something very specific going on here. And he says, look, guys, there's some th we don't know what our content of our prayers to be yet. We're in Romans 8. We're still learning. We're still growing. We're not there yet. We're not in Ephesian prayer life yet. We're, you think about Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, Philippians 1 and Philippians 4 and Colossians 1, those five great prayers of Paul that are listed for us. 
and given to us as you see how a mature, grown-up adult is going to pray and how they think about things. But we're not there yet. We're in Romans 8. We haven't grown there yet. And he understands that. Look, look at look, look, eleven one. Luke, Luke eleven one. I haven't been able to talk to anybody other than Linda for three weeks and the trees and everything. So I try, and I'm, I shouldn't say talk. I preach, you know. So I got to get my tongue back in and so forth. Um, Luke eleven. Look at verse one. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed constantly to the Father. And you may think, well, why did he do that? Because he's, he's the Son and he's the Father. Because it's that intimate communication. It's that privilege to communicate and, to, and have that intimate relationship with the Father. But notice what they ask the Lord to do for them. Teach us to pray. So prayer is a learned activity. Jesus is praying. He prays all the time. And again, I think about that. Man, he knows everything. He's God, the Son. But yet he's demonstrating what man should be doing. What, how Adam, the second Adam, how, the, how man was supposed to operate. He communes with the Father. He talks to the Father. He talks to him on a regular basis. And they ask him, teach us to pray. Verse 2, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, He's going to teach them what to pray. Now, notice something. In Matthew 6, hold on to Luke, run back over there to Matthew 6. There's something very fascinating about this. Matthew says, they come and they ask him to teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. The Father is inviting the believers to come and pour out their heart and their soul in a, in a very an intimate manner, but they're going to do it in a very specific way. So first, the issue of prayer is a learned activity. Secondly, he said to them, when he said unto them, when ye pray, say, and then it's the Our Father prayer. But look at Matthew 6, look at verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 7. But when ye pray... Use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Paul is telling us we don't know what our content of our prayer is. We're learning that. He never says we don't know how to pray. Because what do the heathen do? How do the heathen pray? Repetition, over and over, same thing. It's just like the kid with the with the parents nag 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 till you get what you need you know you want. So the heathen they know how to pray, and the Lord says don't pray that way. Verse eight: Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So then why are we praying? 
because of that relationship that the father wants to have with his adult sons. Now come back to Luke 11. They ask to learn, when they ask him, teach us to pray, they want to learn how to pray correctly. That's the issue. They don't want to be operating where they're not supposed to. They want to be operating the way the father and the son would have them operate. They know what prayer is. You remember the Pharisee in the, in, the, in the temple, and the publican is there, and he beats on his chest, and he prays, oh, how great I am. You see, that's the heathen, that vain reputa- re- repetition of stuff. The publican, there he stands, and he says, no, I'm a sinner, and I thank you for saving me and for doing for me. The religious guy, he's over there saying the same things over and over and over again. Teach them. So he says, verse 2, pray this way. When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he instructs them in what to pray. He gives them the content of their prayer. But he gives them the content of their prayer based upon their program and where they are at. In Romans 8, Paul says, we don't know yet what the content of our prayer is going to be. We're still growing. We're still learning. See, the answer to, by the way, you know what the answer to we don't know is? Knowledge. If you don't know something, go do what? Knowledge. We had to have bear spray. Yeah, I, I, my trip's going to be in a lot of stuff this morning. So we have bear spray, right? Got to have bear spray. I had a 44 Magnum on my chest, but we got to have bear spray, right? So there's a booklet in the bear spray. I handed it to Linda. You need to read this. So she reads it, and I said, well, give me the cliff notes. So she tells me, got to do this, got to do that. But, and I'm like, by the time you did all that, the bear's done eating you. I'll just pull my gun out and blow him away. You know, I didn't, you know, can't do that. Sorry, I'll, I'll get the emails. That's okay. But see, the thing is, is what do you, if you don't know something, what are you going to go do? Teach me. Let's get in here and learn it. He instructs them to pray intelligently here. But he does it in light to where they are at in their program. When he says, thy kingdom come, that is not a good thing. Because the kingdom was to be on the earth and set up already. Our Father which art in heaven. He shouldn't be in heaven. He should be on the earth. That's what prophecy is all about. Daniel 2, 44 and 45. Putting the kingdom on the earth. See, there in Matthew 3, John the Baptist. Ye vipers and generation, you know, snake. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What's coming? The wrath. He's like, look, guys, if you're going to pray, you need to be praying. And where you're at dispensationally, in light of what's happening, in light of what's coming, which is the 70th week of Daniel, which is wrath, and when you get over on the other side of that, when it's time in the 70th week to start praying, guess what you're going to pray? Thy kingdom come. See that? And that, so he's instructing them to pray. Not to escape, notice there's no escaping the situation. 
Rather, it's, okay, how do we deal with the situation and how do we work down through it? They're praying in line with the program and the coming wrath and judgment that's on its way to them. And then ultimately the establishment of the kingdom. And that believing remnant, when they get over into those last days of that 70th week, the the saints cry, how long, Lord? How long are you going to wait? How long are you going to let them kill your servants? In Isaiah, it's repeated in Revelation. How long are you going to let this go? It's, it's, talked, it's prophesied by David in Psalms. How long are you going to let this stuff go on? How long? And the believing remnant, they will, they're going to be praying this prayer right when they're supposed to be praying it. By the way, our Father, which art where? In heaven. In the 70th week, who's on the earth? A guy called the Antichrist. See, they know what's going on. They know that God, that when that guy bellows out in the temple, 2 Thessalonians 2, that he's God, they're going to sit there and go, no, you're not, because he's still up there to come back. They're going to know that. They're going to understand it. So the Lord teaches them to pray. Come back there to Romans 8. But he teaches them to pray in line with where they're at in their program. And he says, look, guys, you want to learn to pray? This is what you're going to pray, and here's the time. And he goes through all this whole great teaching effort, in the, in, especially in Matthew. He starts in Matthew, and he just lays out the second coming for them and gets them educated and ready because the king is coming. And you know what in Romans 8? Paul says, you know what? We don't know, but we're going to learn, and we're going to learn how to pray today in the age of grace. And prayer today is the same idea of pouring out your soul and, and, and communicating with the Father and so forth. But you know what? It's not praying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give me my daily bread. You know, if you had to beg him for daily bread, none of us would be overweight. By the way, do you remember when he first gave them the picture of daily bread? It's an exodus with the manna. There's the first teaching of a providing the daily bread. In Revelation 12, when the war in heaven is over and Satan's cast to the earth and Israel flees, runs to the wilderness and to the table prepared for them in the wilderness, there's their daily bread. What did he tell you and I? If you don't work, you don't what? Eat. See, that's a little different. He says, look, if you want to have stuff, you know what you got to go do? Get a job, make a paycheck, and then you can have. Yeah, I'm, I'm, he ain't providing nothing. But what do we pray? Oh, dear God, for five minutes, change the dispensation so I can win the Powerball. Come on, Lord. And he sits there and he just, you know, you know, we do that out of jest. But he's sitting there going, you're praying like the heathen. You're asking stuff that is not who you are. So Paul's startling. We don't know what we should pray for, as we ought. Look over at, uh, so in Romans 8, the condition of our prayer life is what? We're just getting going. We're just getting started. We're just learning. Now come over to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And look at verse 18. Ephesians 6 and verse 18. 
the communication component of the armor of the believer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, that's a little different than we don't know what we ought to pray for as we ought. What are we doing here? We know what we're to be praying for. We, we, have, an under, we have an education. We have an understanding. We're praying always with all prayer and supplication in, in the Spirit. We're not Romans 8. In Ephesians 6, we've grown up. We've matured. We're in that adulthood. We're in our maturity. And you know what we know what we're doing? In Romans 8, we're learning about our status, our identity. We're, beginning, we're getting that, that ground level. And Paul says, right now, you're in the middle, and go back there to Romans 8. Romans 8, you're in the middle of a firm, you, you, your situation, life is tough, you don't understand why, what's going on, and he's educating you of, look, here's why. You're stuck, connected to a sin-cursed creation. And you're going to learn how to handle that and how to deal with it and know that you have peace with God. He's not doing this to you. The curse, the course of the world is. You guys with you follow? He says, you don't know what you're praying for. You know you're praying because you're talking to the Father. My, you know, dear God, this stuff just stinks. What do you do with that? <laughs> you got to learn. In Ephesians 6, you're a battled, weary soldier. You've had tours in the battle. We were talking last night, and uh, we were talking about Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls, the 90s. And you know what made Phil Jackson such a great coach was he did not really have to coach those guys. He had to manage the personalities. Because how much more can you tell Michael Jordan how to play basketball? The guy that took a summer and did 10,000 free throws and 25,000 jump shots. How much more can you tell a guy like that how to, but you got to manage the egos and all that. You see, they, but Michael didn't get there without what? Years of practice. Being taught, learning, to now when he got into his, if you will, Ephesians 6 maturity, he didn't have to be told what to do or how to do it. He needed to be reminded on what needed to be done in different moments. You and I are the similar. We're in Romans 8. We're just learning. We're learning to have the proper form. We're learning who we are. And by the time we get over into Romans 6, we know what we've done. We've grown into that battle-weary battle-tested soldier. The thing there in Timothy where he says to Timothy, there, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we come along and we're growing. In Romans 8, we don't, not, we don't know the content. We're praying I mean, when you get bumped in the head enough, you're eventually going to say, okay, Lord, what's going on? <laughs> but we just don't know the content. Now, Romans 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit, what? Also helpeth. Now that we have some help here, we have a deficiency that is impacting us. Romans 8, 26. 
That deficiency is we don't know what we ought to be praying for as we ought. See that? The Spirit is going to come and now help with that. And we're going to learn something here about the Spirit's involvement. In light of that deficiency that we have because we just don't know yet. And we're going to learn something about the Spirit's not intervention, but intercession here. In Ephesians 6, what did that verse say? We already, we're already praying in the Spirit. We're moving. We, we, got the down, we're, we got the download. We're good. But right here, we have a lack. We have a deficiency. And he's going to intercede for us. The Spirit itself making intercession for us. And he's going to come along and he's going to begin to work. Now, what happens in verse 26, the commonly taught manner, all right, is that there's some things that we don't know. We don't know what to pray for. So the Spirit takes our prayer and he supersedes it. And he comes in and he takes our groanings and then retranslates them over to match the will of God, because they use verse 27, okay? And they come over here, and he's going to communicate really what we're, you know, dear Lord, I wish I had blue, and the Spirit goes, you know what, Lord, what he really meant to say was he really wished he had gold. And you get this crazy idea that when you don't know what you're praying for, the Spirit comes in, takes it, retranslates it, rewords it, re- redoes all of this hocus-pocus stuff so that it would match the will of God for you. Okay? So if you believe that, or have believed that, you're telling me that the Father, God the Father, needs the Spirit to help him understand what you're trying to say. Does that make sense? It doesn't, does it? But that's how they handle these verses, rather than understanding where we are at in our maturity and in our growth, and coming along and saying, look, there's some things sometimes we don't know what the content should be. You follow that? Don't pull this while he's going to retrain. I had a guy one time tell me, He said, Rick, when I pray, I'll pray dumb things. And the Spirit's going to take the dumb things and make them all right in the Father's ears. And I'm like, what? I go, you pray dumb things. The Father already knows you praying dumb things. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, because you already have the Father in you. you got the Godhead that resides in you. And he knows everything anyway, (laughs) doesn't he? Matthew 6, 8 says he did. He does. Now, notice verse 26. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Who who is groaning in our context? Verse 22, creation is groaning. Verse 23, we're groaning. 
Some think that the Spirit is the one actually groaning here, but in the context, the Spirit is not groaning. Who's groaning? We are. We do. Creation does. What's the Holy Spirit doing in verse 26? He's helping us. He helps us. He's aware. We do the groaning within ourselves, by the way. Verse 23 there. We come along. What are, by the way, what are we groaning for? That new body. <laughs> Verse 23. What are we waiting for? 2 Corinthians 5. To be out of this old and to be in the new. The Holy Spirit is going to come down here now and he's going to begin to work and he's going to begin to conduct a specific ministry that we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. That he, he comes in and he's going to begin to work in your inner man in a very specific ministry that's intended to impact the realm of your inner man, your inner thinking. And it isn't this hoodly do woo, you know, stuff. It's here it is, black and white on the page of the Word of God in your lap. Prayer has to do with the way that we're going to now begin to utter and to talk. Again, what are we prayer? Pouring out your soul like water to the Father. Look at verse 27, 827. And he that searcheth the what? The hearts. What does, he, what does the Father want to find in your heart? Keep reading. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. What's he looking for in your heart? The mind of the Spirit. See that? What's going on? This is internal. He wants God, the Holy Spirit, is going to provide some information for you and I. To us, he's going to educate us. He's going to bring us to a place of understanding. He's going to make intercession by providing light and understanding and wisdom that brings us to an understanding of what God's doing today. He's going to teach us to pray in light of the dispensation of grace, though, not Israel. Look at verse 27. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the what? To the will of God. Again, not intervention. He's going to come in and he's going to intercede in our hearts, in our inner man, so that we begin to begin to take in the word of God and we begin to see what God's doing today. You guys follow that? Come over to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. And let just illustrate this to you quickly here. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 8. I know we looked at this last time we were together, but again, I want you to notice something here carefully. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He has, he's got that thorn in the flesh. Verse 7. How many times did Paul ask the Lord to remove it? Three times. Three times he says, Lord, I need a little help. Okay? So it's a legitimate request. 
But notice the answer. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the Paul, Paul three times, Lord, remove this thorn, please. It's killing me. It's, 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 it's an aggravation. It's an irritant. And you know what the Lord says to him? The Lord tells Paul, I'm not changing your circumstance. I'm not changing the situation. So what does Paul learn? There's no hope of changing the circumstance. What's he going to have? The thorn in the flesh for a while. And all indications, by the way, is it never left him. It was always with him. But what does the Lord say? What does he say? My grace is sufficient. What are, what's God doing today? He's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John removing the thorn. By the way, that's where Paul, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, what would he know in his upbringing as a Pharisee? He would know that, hey, if I ask the Lord this, he can take this away. See, Paul's got a little slip in, the, in this thinking here. By the way, we're in 2 Corinthians, aren't we? We're still growing, aren't we? We're not all there yet. He's still maturing. He's still getting revelations and so forth. He's still moving forward, right? What does he pray? Change my situation. What does God say? I ain't changing your situation. But I am going to tell you my grace is sufficient. He's not left to just deal with it on his own. The Lord says, I'm not changing it. I am going to let, remind you of who you are in my son. So he says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. But then he adds in your, there, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. He adds that. He's, it would have been great just to say, my grace is sufficient, but then he says, but my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. We need to adjust your thinking, Paul, here. So what does Paul say back? Most, what? Gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul says? Aha, the light bulbs went off. Oh, that's what's going on. It's my grace. That's right. It's the grace, the dispensation of grace today. He's not going to change the situation, but rather he's going to give me the ability to work down through it and to bear it and to escape it and to come out on the other side. Oh, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul... He, 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 had a, he had a light bulb moment, a reminder. You know, sometimes I think we don't think Paul has slippage every now and then. Here he is. He's at, we're in 2 Corinthians. This is Acts 20, Acts, late, later in Acts. He knows that things are beginning to change. He just stopped baptizing people. He's just, he can't heal anymore. He can't do some of the things he was doing in the provoking aspect of his ministry in early Acts. Or, or uh, Acts 13, 14, 15, right in there. And all of a sudden that stuff's beginning to change and he's just got a big revelation about the big picture and all this. And, he, and he's got this thorn and instantly he goes right back to the knee-jerk reaction of, help me, get it out of here, change it. 
and God said, the, sons, the, the Lord says, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not going to change your situation. Because when you're weak, I'm strong. And Paul goes, oh. You know, have you ever had those moments when you put one and one together and you go, whoa, there it is. That's what Paul had. In light of being educated, reminded, Paul's thinking about the circumstances is what is changed. So Paul says, I'm going to glory. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commanded of you. I'm sorry, commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the chiefest, the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. What Paul's learning, he's had his whole thinking adjusted here. He says, hey, he's just like we are. Okay, Lord, fix this. You're the big vending machine in the sky, and I've dumped enough faith quarters in you for a lifetime. And he says, I'm not changing it because I'm not working that way. I'm not operating that way. So you got, some, you got three things going on here. One, you got no promise of fixing Paul's situation, of changing his circumstances. But number two, there is a change in Paul's understanding about the circumstance that he's in. And you know what Paul does? The third thing, and this is what prayer is really all about. When he says there, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. In the context, what is the power of Christ? My grace is sufficient. Verse 10, therefore I take reproach. He's literally just repeating back to the Lord his newfound understanding. The Lord says, my strength is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My strength, I'm made strong in your weakness. And you know what Paul does? Paul just simply takes that and applies it to his heart. And he just repeats the truth back to the Lord. And in Paul's life, you know what it becomes from this moment on, and actually in, when this event happens in Acts uh, 14 there, when he's left for dead and all that, he literally has a life-changing event, and he has no regard for his life. It actually takes his companions to stop him at least three times from being killed. They had to stop him. Say, don't go that way. Do this. Let him do that. Why? Because you know what he said? He learned, he, hey, my situation ain't going to change. Philippians 1 over there, the prayer over there in Philippians 1, verse 9, about that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and wisdom and all, and that you may approve things that are excellent. You know where he's sitting in Philippia? He's sitting in a jail in Philippi. He's sitting in jail when he writes Philippians. Let me say it that way. And when he does that, he never says, I'm begging God to get me out of jail. He says, no, I want to grow and understand. And Paul now assimilates into his life this wonderful doctrine of my grace is sufficient. 
And as he learns, and as he grows, look over there at Philippians with me just real quick. Look at Philippians 4. Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm I'm sorry, the Lord says, when you're weak, I'm strong. So you know what Paul says? I'm weak and you're strong. He just repeats it. Look at Philippians uh, Philippians 4. Notice verse 10, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have, what? Learned. You know, sometimes I think we think Paul didn't have to learn this, that he got the revelation and then he knew it and did it. But he says, no, I have what? I've learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? He had to learn that. He had to learn contentment. Contentment with godliness is great gain. I know both how to be. See that? How to be. I've learned this. I know how, both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things. Now watch. I am what? Instructed. Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound. See how he says I've learned I've been instructed. What is God's grace doing to him? Teaching him. Moving him. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You see, he's learned that. Yes, Paul got the revelation. Yes, he's charged with writing. And yes, he's our great apostle, but he's our great pattern. And what does he say? You don't know this coming out of the step one. You've got to learn this. You've got to be instructed in this. Look over at Colossians 2, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught. See, but where was Paul? Who taught Paul? The Lord did. What did he say? My grace, Paul, remember, my grace is sufficient for you. And you're weak. I'm, my strength is in your weakness. And Paul says, aha, I got it. So where do we learn? Well, we're going to learn from the Word of God. Look over at Ephesians 3. I hope you, this is making some sense. Ephesians 3. Verse number 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, or how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by who? That boy, don't ever forget, by the Spirit. You know what that means? Peter and the boys knew nothing about it. How did Peter and the guys understand it now? By the Spirit working through the written Word in their life. Why? Because Paul says, Galatians 1, I received this directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, and when I got it, I'm commissioned to write it down, and when I write that down, the Spirit now takes it and works in man, in the inner man. He says, hey, that's, so what is the Spirit doing? 
how do you and I learn? We don't learn by God opening the skies and saying, boo, here it is. We learn by opening the pages of the word to God, rightly divided, there, and we begin to learn. So come back to Romans 8. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden, he prays three times. How many times did Paul pray? You know what the Lord prayed three times? Is there a way for this cup to pass? If not, thy will be done. Three times. Same, same kind of situation with Paul. Three times. Remove the what? The thorn in the flesh. Change the circumstance. The son was saying the same thing. That prayer, that prayer of petition of can this be changed? Now, before the father could say no, what did the Lord said? Not my will, but thy will be done. It took Paul a little longer because he's a little hard-headed, and the father or the son had to say, no, I ain't changing your circumstance. I've given you something better. The son had to adjust his thinking to the will and the word of the father. And guess what Paul had to do? Same thing. Paul learns the same way. And when you come back here to Romans 8, when Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, it's not that you're ignorant and you never will know. It's at the moment in Romans 8 as you're laying in that foundation, you're still a babe in Christ. You're still maturing. And there's some things that you need help with. And the Spirit comes along and does what? Helps with that. Comes along and takes what you don't, what, what, what's going on in your inner man. And he begins to help that, and he does it with the word of God, rightly divided. Now, we got four minutes to do about three hours worth of stuff. So run over if, real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter, oh, chapter 2. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Romans 8. You guys okay? Two, two passages. We'll do this as quickly as we can. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Notice, by the way, unto our glory. In Romans 8, we've been filled with stuff about our glory. The stuff that will not be compared, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Verse 17, we got the heirs and joint heirs, and if we suffer uh, with him, we'll be glorified together. So there's a connection here. By the way, the greatest commentary on the book of Romans is 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. Okay, I know guys write great books, but there, here it is. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for him that love him. In Romans 8, in verse 27, and he that searcheth the what? The hearts. You see, the issue is the heart. Verse, chapter 2, verse 9 talks about the love of, 
uh, the, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. There's a connection being drawn here, a similarity. Verse 10, 2.10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. In 8.27, what's being searched? Your heart. And what's he looking for? The mind of the Spirit. There's a searching going on. Verse 11, 211, for what man knoweth the things of a man? What man knoweth? What's verse 827 say? And he that searcheth the heart, what? Knoweth. There's a connection going on here. 212, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, when Paul in Romans 8 says we don't know what's going on, he's going to begin to draw a connection to that here in, in 1 Corinthians 2 because he's going to now provide in 1 Corinthians 2 some details on how we are to know. Look at verse 13, 2.13. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost, what? Teacheth. What's, how does the Holy Spirit work today? He works in the Word. What's the, word, what's the Holy Spirit going to do for us in Romans 8? He's going to help us. How does He help us? Well, He comes over here and intervenes and zaps them dead. No, He intercedes with the Word of God. He comes in and He says, you know what? You've got the completed Word of God now. Study that. Read that. Follow that? So in Romans 8, we don't know. We're, 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 we need help. 1 Corinthians 2, the help's on board now. If you look over at chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says it even better, dealing with the issue of the, of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So we have a partial here. We have, we, have, we, we have a deficiency, don't we? Verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come. What's the perfect? What's that? Well, it's when the partial is done away with. So if when that which is perfect is come, then, we, then that which is in part shall be what? Done away. So if I've got perfect knowledge and perfect prophesy... By the way, the prophesy here in, is, is defined for you in chapter 14 as preaching, not foretelling the future, but preaching the word. Okay? Now what happens? When the, when the word is completed, which Paul completes the word of God, now I don't have a partiality, I don't have a deficiency. I have a completeness. So what does he say, verse 11? He illustrates it. When I was a child, I did what? I spake as a child. I was in Romans 8, 26. I didn't know what to pray for. So I spake that way. The Spirit comes along, helps, intercedes, comes in, uses the Word, impacts my inner man, reminds me of who I am in Christ. And now, well, 
I, brought, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I grew up. I matured up. See how it just changes. And what does that is the Word of God. So in Romans to Galatians, where are we? We're in the growing section. All the details aren't all available just yet. So we have a deficiency. But as the details come on board, especially in Ephesians to Colossians, then we begin to understand what's happening. So when you go back to Romans 8, verse 26, we'll pick up in 27 next time, there's an interceding here. He intercedes. Intercession. When you have an intercession, it takes two parties to do that. Okay? And those two parties have to come to the same conclusion or agreement. And what ultimately is happening is the Holy Spirit is bringing our understanding and our thinking into alignment with what the Father's doing today in the age of grace. How he does that is not this hoodly do It's taking the word of God and building up that inner man. Our understanding is adjusted to the truth of God's word. And when that happens, now we know how we ought to be praying, what, what the content of our prayer is. I hope you get that, okay? So I took eight minutes, so you got five minutes over, okay? Now we'll get next time into 27 because there's a reference here to God the Father and stuff that I don't want to miss. He doesn't intervene and change. He intercedes and comes in and the two parties come together. And our prayer life, folks, is literally to be a reflection of the mind of the Holy Spirit that's residing in you. As you have that wonderful opportunity to commune with the Father... And to literally, if you will, regurgitate back to him his word as you've applied it to the details of your life. That's what really prayer is. It's not your energy. It's not your effort. It's not you. It's his word working in you as it instructs you, as it molds you, as it moves you forward. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the folks. We thank you for the instructions here for the, pe- for the folks' uh, patience and willingness to learn and to grow. In your name we pray, amen.